Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today is June 6, 2019. 94 days to kick off. And now we have to wait. Wait. Another month. Yeah. Almost two months with no football. I know. Football, OTAs are over. Football news is going to be scarce. But we're here to entertain you during that period. We're here for you guys. OTAs are done. Today was the last day. Had quite a few press conferences with Bruce Arians and Domicong Sue and other people. Uh, training camp dates have yet to be announced, but they should be starting around the final week of July. Did you, think, did you get anything out of the press conferences? I only watched like one. Bruce Arians. <laughs> that was yesterday. The Wednesday one. I don't remember anything from it. So you didn't get anything from it? No, I did not get anything from okay. it. Hey, the Kangles are going to be out soon. Yeah, I know you're the excited hats, about that. I'm really excited. Yes. The Panthers have signed ex-Buccaneers cornerback Javion Elliott. Or Havion. I think Javion. Javion. What, what did you think of him? Because I had a Panthers fan ask me what he was like. And I was like, I don't even remember really. I mean, he played as a rotational guy. We had so many injuries in the secondary. I thought they were just kind of in and out and no one was that spectacular. I mean, he might be a decent rotational guy. Yeah. He signed with the Bucks as an undrafted free agent in 2016. He played in six games as a rookie. Uh, he appeared in 15 games in each of the last two seasons. Didn't start any, I don't think. Uh, he only played for 351 defensive snaps last season. He had 24 tackles, but he did have an interception, one of the very few on our secondary. Matter of fact, I think everybody that's been brought back does not have an interception. <laughs> Carlton Davis, BH3, I don't think he had an interception last year. Justin Evans, I think he had one. I don't think so. Ryan Smith? Don't think so. No, Ryan Smith had a really pretty one against Pittsburgh. That's right, yeah. No, it was, are you, okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Is Ryan Smith his name? <laughs> is it Justin Why Smith? Why are we even doing We have like really common names. There's like Justin Evans. Ralph's going to check on that. In any case, Javian Elliott was a restricted free agent this year, and the Bucks declined to offer him a tender, so he became an unrestricted free agent, and he's been a free agent since then. Who is that? Javian Elliott. Yes. That's uh, per Greg Allman. Ryan Smith did have an interception last year. Okay. There is a Ryan Smith on our team, and he did <laughs> have an interception. I think that was the one where he, like, sniffed it out. Like, he Jumped read right the play. Yeah. I want to say it was Pittsburgh or the Bengals, maybe, but I'm pretty sure it was Pittsburgh. Yes, Justin Evans had an interception. Adarius Taylor had one, previously known as Adarius Clanton. Isaiah Johnson had an interception, Ryan Smith had one, and then Javion Elliott had one. Andrew Adams had four, but Andrew Adams and Javion Elliott are no longer with the team. And Adarius Taylor is no longer with the team. He went to Chicago. So our backfield has one, two, three interceptions. Well, it's a good thing all the rookie cornerbacks and linebackers are getting all the picks in practice then. Yeah, they're really focusing on them. Jameis Winston's having a foot his football camp June 7th, 2019. That's Friday, tomorrow. It's going to be at the Advent Health Training Center at One Buccaneer Place in Tampa, Florida. It's open to boys and girls grades 1 to 8. The times are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And the price is $149 for each attendee. 
Uh, all attendees will receive a souvenir autograph from Jameis Winston. Uh, the items provided outside the items not permitted. A camp team photo with Jameis Winston, a limited edition Jameis Winston football pro camp t-shirt, and there's additional upgrades available during checkout. The camp will run from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then continue from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. with the same participants attending in both the morning and afternoon. There will be a lunch break from 12 to 1 p.m. So if you're in the area, you want to take your kid to the football camp, get out there. I think there's still spots available. Normally on that site that shows all the pro football camps, if it's filled up, it'll say no more available. But it didn't say that with Jameis Winston. Apparently Jameis Winston is really big into these football camps. I think it was Lee DeCamper was talking about he was at Anthony Beck's football camp and Jameis Winston showed up and Lee DeCamper was talking to Anthony Beck and Jameis Winston walked over to him and was like, hey, man, why didn't you tell me you had this going on? I would have came and helped out. He apparently likes doing these football camps. I think that might have been Pewter Report. Might have been Pewter Report. In any case, that's not the important part. No, it is not the important part. <laughs> the important part is Jameis Winston's awesome. Annoying. Yeah, that is really cool that he likes to be involved with the youths. The youths? <laughs> I'd go to that if I were eight years old. Oh, heck yeah. I bet he's pretty funny to hang around with. He's one goofy dude. Yeah. Also, Stefarian Jenkins is stepping away from football for a bit. You know, he had signed with the Patriots. And he's stepping away for undisclosed reasons, yeah, personal he said issues. Personal, yeah. yeah. Alcohol, Drinking, probably. Sure, yeah. But they released him. Yeah. When he said after he said that, so. yeah. They don't put up with no mess over no. the Patriots, and especially if you're kind of average. We finally found out what Justin Evans' injury is. What is you it? You know, he's ha- he's been sidelined. He had that lingering toe issue. Mm-hmm. There were questions whether that was going to end his career like it did for Deion Sanders. It was turf toe. And this week he shows up with a boot on his foot. But they said that wasn't the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's the opposite foot. (laughs) Oh, great. And it's a heel issue. And he had a procedure on it. But he's supposed to be ready by training camp. He better. Just like Ren said from Pewtercast. He better because... There's some uh, rookie quarterbacks chomping at the bit to take their jobs. I know, and he can't be in football shape. No, he hasn't he played hasn't, for right. He hasn't played almost since a year. What, yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle for him at this point. I'd be surprised if he made the team, but yeah, we need depth in that system. But we got a lot of good guys. It sounds like other players that didn't practice. There were 12 guys held out with minor injuries. Good lord, this week. Um, Mike Evans, Jensen, Marpet, Justin Evans, Bobo Wilson, Sean Wilson, Ernsberger. Is that one of the tight ends we got? I can't remember. Leggett, Mitchell, Simpson, Brait, and Sitchi. And then, of course, JPP's out there. That's per Greg Allman. This is like the, the Greg Allman podcast. It is. <laughs> Look, all the tweets I have saved are Greg Allman and Scott well, Smith. <laughs> he's just a really good, he puts a lot of good information out. He's, yeah. he's to me, he's my favorite Buccaneers reporter. He just uh, doesn't mix a whole lot of opinion in there. He just reports the facts yeah. for the most part. Yeah, Ernsberger. Donnie Ernsberger is the tight end. Okay. He's our fifth tight end. And Leggett was out too. He's that other tight end. If I'm the fifth tight end on a team that's only going to keep four tight ends, I am not out for injury. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to literally be picking an arm up off the ground, I think, <laughs> before I would say, I-, I can't play today, coach. And then we had Bryant Mitchell, who's he's like the 12th receiver. As well as Cortrell Simpson. No, uh, he's a rookie. Didn't we sign him? Draft him? I don't think so. Undrafted? I think he's a was an undrafted rookie from Richmond. 
<laughs> yeah, so we had some injuries, but with the exception of JPP, everyone seems to be on track to play in training camp, provided they don't hurt themselves in the next six weeks. <laughs> I swear, if I was a player from here until then, I would wrap myself in bubble wrap. <laughs> But and lock myself in a padded room. But don't you still have to train and work out? I mean, they still got to hit the gym. I guess. I don't know, man. Bruce Arians did make a point to say they need to stay in shape for when they get back to training camp because they could lose their job if they're not in proper condition. Well, you know that they got those cryo chambers now. You could just put yourself in suspended animation for a month or two. <laughs> don't you lose muscle mass though isn't it like being in space i don't know i'm not a scientist <laughs> <laughs> the last day of mini camp Cairo santos was put in a position similar to what mac a was last week yeah, i saw to that. get him to hit it yeah and then they would end mini camp and he hit it Ooh, they ended mini camp so that was like a bigger deal than when yeah that gay dude did it that's gonna be a big battle there i just can't see gay losing the job Especially if they draft him. If That's they drafted him, yeah, what was it, third round or some crap? Fifth. Fifth round? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not that bad. They could cut him, though. Yeah, I think so, but... Really, the only two spots in the draft that are safe are the first and second round guys. Right. The second round aren't even that safe, but... No, not really. Everybody well, after I don't that. know. We've hung out on to Noah Spence that Oh, long. no. Like is great with second rounders. Except for Aguayo. Didn't we draft him in the second? You just had to bring him up, didn't you? <laughs> He who shall not be named. I tried blocking him out. <laughs> the defense has rested in the Kellen Winslow Jr. sexual assault trial. Now, this guy is just, it's just crazy. It's absolutely insane if you read up on his charges. And I tell you, man, he's going to, he's going to prison for a long, long time. Uh, Winslow, so he's facing life in prison on a number of charges against him. He has 12 criminal counts against him with five different accusers. Wow. Now, one of them is a 33-year-old woman who claims Winslow forcibly raped her when she was 17. Oh, uh, wasn't that somebody he went to college with? Yes, and she came to court and testified, too. Uh, he's also accused of allegedly picking up two hitchhikers or transient people and raping them, then threatening to kill both women if they went to the police. This was two separate occasions. He didn't do it. So he probably gets a charge for the threat and then the actual crime. Mm -hmm. uh, the female victims in the complaint range between the ages of 54 and 86. Ugh. That's not including a 33-year-old woman who was 17 at the time. Now, he's remained in jail on bail status, on no bail status since uh, June of 2018. If you look at his charges, they're really crazy. You know, I mean, you got the attempted rape, you've got rape, you've got attempted burglary, indecent exposure. Remember, there was the one where he, I mean, he was out on bail for these charges, and he goes to the a rec center or gym or something like that and crawls up in the hot tub with this elderly lady and, like, exposed himself to her. She freaks out. Goes and tells the gym staff, Winslow leaves, comes back the next day and does the same thing again to the same woman. And was he targeting her or was it just uh, happenstance? Well, whatever. I mean, I don't know. But it, it seems like he would be targeting her because, I don't know, if I was her, I wouldn't go back to that gym for a while. But that's how he got this bail revoked. I mean, this guy's got some serious, serious issues. And he, remember, he's the one that was caught masturbating in a Taco Bell parking lot back in... It was a couple years ago. A long time ago. Yeah, yeah. while he was still playing. I think it was Taco Bell. It might have been Wendy's. I think it was Wendy's. Like yeah, something like that. Yeah, so he's going to prison for a long time. The preseason dates and times have been officially released. We will play the Steelers at Pittsburgh August 9th at 7.30 p.m. 
will play the Dolphins at home on the 16th at 7.30 p.m. We'll play the Browns at home on the 23rd at 7.30 p.m. And then we'll play at the Cowboys August 29th at 8 p.m. The Pittsburgh's game is going to be interesting. If y'all don't know, in Bruce Arians' book, Quarterback Whisper, he loves everybody in the NFL. He's big into loyalty. You know, he has said with this staff he's got now that he will never, ever fire an assistant. He will reassign them, but he's not going to fire them. Now, I'm sure he will fire them if they do something stupid like Kellen Winslow Jr. does, but he's not going to fire them for poor performance and stuff like that. Well, Mike Tomlin is the only football person I've ever heard Bruce Arians not have good words for. He does not like Mike Tomlin a whole lot because Mike Tomlin basically fired him. At Pittsburgh. This is after he won him two Super Bowls as offensive coordinator. And it had been the coordinator for like 10 years. It was a while. And he was supposed to be getting a raise. And Tomlin came back to him and said, yeah, I didn't get you the contract. And Arians was like, what do you mean? He said, and then he was like, that's okay. We'll just try for the raise next year. And Tomlin was like, no, I didn't get you a contract. You're fired. <laughs> and Bruce Arians did not take that very kindly. So it's going to be interesting watching them play. And, you know, he knows Big Ben. Yeah, he knows Big he Ben very well. He was there when, was Ben drafted when he was there? Uh, I can't remember. I think he was I think brought he in. Was, I think he was drafted by the Steelers. Yeah, he was drafted by the Steelers, but I think Arians was brought in after Ben was drafted. I can't remember. I can't remember either. He's been brought in to consult with the high draft picks quite a bit, though. Andrew Luck. Um, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. So he might have been there for He was definitely there when Ben was very young because he talked about Ben's development in the locker room and mm-hmm. kind of getting a handle on the locker room was tough for him. Yeah, if you want to listen to our book review on Bruce Arians' book, The Quarterback Whisperer, uh, go back and check it out. That would be episode 53. It's called The Podcast Whisperer. Gives a pretty good insight into our new head coach. We did a book report. Yeah. <laughs> what grade did you get, Molly? You cheated off me. What? You read the cliff notes. It's a lie. Arian said that he was going to bring in some veteran players to try out during minicamp. And those turned out to be, we had three wide receivers and two offensive linemen. Uh, The two offensive linemen have had starting experience. Yeah, one was a starter for the Saints, which I remember writing about him last season. He had an ankle injury that sent him to IR. Josh Laribus, he's 29. He made three starts for the Saints. And then before that, he played for the Redskins at center. The other veteran uh, tackle they have was Cyrus. I can't even say that last name. Kellen Geo. Anyway, he was with the Bills. And Joe Buck's fan is saying he was a second-round bust from the 2014 draft. That remains to be seen. I don't. We haven't signed them, but they were trying out, so... We're not settled on the offensive line, apparently. Well, Bruce Harris likes to say we're not settled with anything. He said the uh, 90-man roster or the 53-man roster won't be set until the day before the first game. Keeps you on your toes. That's how he likes it. All right. I did some player analysis of Kentrell Bryce. He's the safety we've got from Green Bay. He was number 29 with the Packers, number 24 with the Buccaneers. Not a whole lot to really say about the guy. I only watched one full game of coach's film. It was, I can't remember what game it was now. I think it was week one of 2017. I'm going to watch more, of course, but uh, just a real quick analysis. Why did you pick that game in particular? Well, I picked picked the season he was most active in. He's been kind of in and out. He doesn't start a whole lot. He's more of a kind of a rotational guy. 
second stringer, basically. But he had, in 2017, I think it was, he had the most starts. So I figured I would watch off his starts. It's really hard to watch these guys when they don't start. It's hard to get the stats on them and stuff or find out what games they're even in. You have to basically go through the game breakdown, play-by-plays, and pick out their their names. But the guy is fast. He's kind of lanky, more more slim than I'm used to at safety, but he's very fast. And I'll tell you what, this defense is going to be super fast if nothing else. It seems like everybody on our defense is fast, except for MJ Stewart. <laughs> uh, he's not scared of contact, but I don't really like the way he tackles. He's not a hard hitter. He kind of comes in at angles and launches, you know, that stuff I don't really like. Is it because he's small? Might be. I don't know. But he doesn't have that, you know, set your feet and, you know, plow through guys type tackling that I liked. It was oh, week one against the Bears, 2018. So last year. Uh, he does run to the ball. Seems like he's always near the action. And that's saying something because he plays in the defense. He played safety. Sometimes he was 20, 25 yards off the ball or, you know, off the line of scrimmage. So he was doing a lot of running around. He gets there quick, though. Now, his tackling's not the best. It's not absolutely horrible, but he, he reaches too much. You know, it's just that tack. I don't know if it's a new tackling style that's coming into the NFL, but it just I just don't like it. Uh, he overshoots a bit. Uh, he, he's not the best in coverage. Just the one game I watched, he had at least two passes that he kind of whiffed on. One was for a big yardage. Isn't that his job? Yeah. Well, the deep guys, yeah. And this one was definitely his fault. He was alone in coverage with the guy, and he turned the wrong way, and the guy went the other way, and... Caught it for a big game. But you also got to remember that the Packers were a shit show last year, so it's hard to tell, you know, if it was him or if it was just the assignments. On that particular play, it definitely did look like it was him that messed it up. It seems like he does get slightly out of position most of the time. He doesn't really seem to be in solid position a lot. Uh, honestly, I'm not that impressed with what I saw other than the speed, and but that does seem to be what we're really going for in our secondary is speed. So maybe they can do something with that. I don't know. I'm going to do further analysis on him. I'm going to do a whole season, most likely 2018. Probably do a video of him. Can you coach tackling? Is that something? Yeah. Well, the only thing you can't coach is speed. Okay. And that's why I ended up getting these guys because you know, they're like, we got the foundation. As long as you got speed, we can work with everything else. Right. Was Todd Bowles' defenses in other at other teams just as fast? I don't know if they were this fast, to be honest with you. Uh, they fly all over the place, but the, the guys we got on our defense, especially on our secondary, are just blazingly quick. And I say our secondary, but our front seven are fast. I wonder if they're doing I mean, that because of, A, the quarterbacks that we have to play in the division are yeah, have quick releases, and the receivers that we have in our division. Yeah. You know, and, and being able to chase down Cam Newton and McCaffrey, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, Kamara. Yeah. <laughs> Kamara. Kamara. Yeah, speed is definitely going to be a plus in that aspect. But, of course, you're going to have to be able to tackle them, too, which was a big problem with us last year. Our tackling was atrocious. Worst, probably about the worst tackling techniques I've ever seen. That whole launch at the hip. At your, They would launch at the opponent's lower half, aiming for the hip or the thigh, it looked like. But they would actually launch all the damn time. Or they would reach, and it was just absolutely horrible. Well, that should be fixed this year because Arian said that he's going to take advantage of full contact drills during training camp. Good. Tweeted by Greg Allman. <laughs> he says... Where would we be without Greg Allman? I don't know. I would know nothing. Say, he, you can't learn to tackle without tackling. That's exactly right. It's the only way to learn how to tackle is to do it. 
And we got about three years of catch up to play. <laughs> I know. I can't believe Cutter did not have guys tackling to the ground in training camp. Ugh. And I can't believe we didn't find that out until just, just a few now. weeks ago. Yeah. Bizarre. It is bizarre. All right. We got the Buccaneers stuff out of the way. Let's talk about some ex-Buccaneers, mainly Gerald McCoy. Now, I know a lot of people are sick and tired of hearing about Gerald McCoy. I don't blame you. But guess what? You're going to hear about him all year. This is a huge thing. Not necessarily from us, but from everybody in the NFL and especially Bucks world. Ralph's been building this up for nine years. <laughs> True. So it's really not fair to ask him to get it all out in one week. <laughs> I want to do a slight correction about something I said in the last podcast. What's that? Ian Rappaport had said another team offered him double the money. And then later it was clarified it was just double the guaranteed money. Right. I've got that in my notes right there. I was going to say it. So at Carolina, what's he getting guaranteed? $4 million. Like $4 million. So he would have so, gotten $8 million guaranteed. Right. So not quite as bad as what it sounded like initially. No, not at all. And it really changed the narrative again because it just goes to show that Jeremy McCoy did go where the highest pay and money was at because uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN said it's my understanding Browns were not touching the 10.25 million Jeremy McCoy can get from Carolina. Cleveland basically wanted him to take a fairly sizable pay cut. Panthers viewed him as more than 8 million player and the man who took his job Sue helped his case with big money from Tampa Bay. That was from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. So the Browns were not going to pay him as much money as either Baltimore or Carolina. Baltimore was just going to give him guaranteed money, and Carolina gave him $4 million guaranteed with incentives, up to $10.25 million. So that's good news for Carolina that the incentives were built in because that'll give him some motivation. Yes. If nothing else, if the revenge part doesn't give him motivation. <laughs> well, here's a strange thing about the whole McCoy stuff. When we've talked about the whole media narrative that changed 15 times during this whole thing. But looking back on it in retrospect, you can see that none of the teams that talked to McCoy needed him. Cleveland didn't need him. I mean, heck, they've got a monstrous defensive line going on there. Baltimore didn't need him. They again, they've got a, you know, good defensive line. And Carolina didn't need him. You know, they've got Kawan Short and Don Terry Poe. Don Terry Poe. So all three of them, he, he was a luxury signing. He was depth. I mean, he, he was going to be a rotational player no matter where he went. I find it strange nobody's talking about that. It'll be an excuse at the end of next season. Yeah, I say I find it strange, but I don't find it strange the way media kisses his butt. Uh, but you know that stat that says that Sue has 56 sacks while McCoy has 54 and a half sacks yeah. in their career? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lie. They're not counting Sue's playoff sacks. Those are just regular season sacks. Ooh. Yes. And I'm guilty of it, too. I said the same thing. But in his six playoff games, he's had five sacks. Wow. So he shows up when it counts. Right. That's a great player showing up in big games. Now, you add those to his sack total, and it is Sue with 61 sacks to Gerald McCoy's 54 and a half. That's a big difference. Plus, last year, McCoy had six sacks, and during the regular season, Sue had four and a half. But then you add on the sack and a half he had during the pros postseason, that gives him what? Six sacks on the year. Oh. Same as Gerald McCoy. The sack totals have been reported wrong by all the media outlets that I could find. Uh, for example, Jenna Lane reported the 54 and a half to 55, 56 sack mistake in her article entitled Bucks Replaced Gerald McCoy with the Domicon Sue, but at what cost? Uh, the Associated Press also did on May 24th. That's kind of a big mistake. I think it's a little lazy. It's very lazy. Yeah. 
And I just got to say this too, Tampa Bay Times is trash. I'm just going to say that out there. Joe, John Romano, who is, I, I guess he's another sports writer. He wrote some sappy article about how the Buccaneers organization and light are ruining fans' memories by giving Sue McCoy's numbers. He wrote an article called uh, Got It McCoy Jersey? Yeah, you might want to log on to eBay. It was just it was just horrible. It was just crapping on the whole team, the organization and all that. I just don't get it, man. It's definitely spreading negativity about yeah. the current team. That's what bothers me. Yeah, yeah. Before we've even taken a snap. There are other organizations that are doing the same thing. Just the tone of the articles. It's not necessarily that they're saying the Bucks are going to be terrible or, you know, B.A. needs to be fired or this player's bad, this player's bad. It's just the language that they use. Mm -hmm. Descriptive adjectives. The direction that they go with the articles, like you were talking about the Betteridge's Law of Headlines. So you just kind of have to be careful with the tone, I think. I really, I, I notice it with certain organizations and particularly like towards the end of the tenure of a coach where they're about to get fired and you know that they're going to get fired and the team's not performing well, the article has just become more and more and more and more negative. Um, and then you get a new coach and there's a lot of hope in the fan base, but then the media outlets are still kind of negative. And eh, I'll believe it when I see it mm-hmm. or we've done this song and dance before. So unless just, it's somebody that they really like, like say Lovey Smith, right? And then, but they just plant that little seed of doubt. Mm-hmm. So it bothers me when the team hasn't even taken the field yet, and there's already that skepticism. Yeah, it's crazy to me how they're not just writing article after article about how great Bruce Arians is. I mean, he's the best tenured coach we've ever had come to the Buccaneers. It's got a proven track record. Very proven, and how the ownership is just spending a gob ton of money. It's a, it's crazy how much money they're spending on this team right now. So, yeah, the media is just, I think a lot of it is because most of them are not fans. You know, they're, they're probably fans of some other sports team, if they're even fan of sports. But it's just a job to them. And they know that negativity gets more attention than positivity. So, And plus, they're also hedging their bets so that if the team sucks, they can go, well, see, I told you. Right. And that, like a negative article, even if you disagree with it, you're more likely to engage with it. So you might argue yes. with them. You right. might fight with them about it. You'll comment on their article. Yeah. So that generates interest in that article. So it makes sense why they do it. Yes, it I does. think it's just human nature. But at the same time, it's frustrating to see that pushed all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to talk about the media here in a moment. Of course. But I want to continue with the Gerald McCoy stuff. Did you know that before he was released by the Bucks, Gerald McCoy started working with a videographer to document his 10th season? You want to know what the title of the upcoming documentary is? What is it? Transition. What? Yeah. He knew this was happening. He. Well, I mean, he said it at the end of last season, yeah. the last game. Yeah. And I think I recall the announcers that game talking about it. During the game, like as he's walking off the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember them saying this might be Gerald McCoy's last game in a Buccaneers uniform or something of that nature. Okay, so I've been hearing from the media why they think a small vocal minority of fans who some of them call trolls did not like McCoy. Uh, they said their reasons that the fans didn't like him included one, McCoy was the face of a losing franchise. Two, he was too nice. Three, he was not Warren Sapp. Those are all the reasons I've heard that the media is befuddled as to why some fans 
were happy to see McCoy leave. They're just assuming these things. They never bothered to ask the very people that they were talking about why. So much for investigative journalism. Well, I'm going to tell you some of the reasons why I think. This is coming straight from the horse's mouth. A fan who was happy to see McCoy get cut. Deshaun Jackson, Austin Safarian Jenkins, Chris Baker, Mike Williams, Michael Johnson, Anthony Collins, Akib Tlaib, LeGarrette Blunt, Robert Agoya, Daniel Taylor Nishim, Brian Price, Noah Spence, Doug Martin, Josh Freeman, Brent Grimes, Tenard Jackson, Kellen Winslow Jr. All of those players prove that the leadership in the locker room did not exist. All of those guys had some serious issues, either drug problems, alcohol problems, behavior problems. They quit on the team. They didn't care. I mean, look at what happened with Deshaun Jackson last year and the way he was with Jameis Winston. And he just refused to catch Jameis Winston's balls. And some of the stuff he reportedly did in the locker room and to Jameis Winston would not have been tolerated if there would have some, been some serious leadership in the locker room. Nobody would have put it up with that crap. Same thing with Chris Baker and Austin Safarian Jenkins. As Bruce Arian said, this is your team. This is the player's team. If you see a problem, you solve it. You go up. The veterans are supposed to go up to these guys and say, hey, cut it out. If they say, if they see them in the bars too late, go up to them and say, man, you can't be doing this. We didn't have any of that in the Buccaneers locker room. And Gerald McCoy was supposedly the face of the franchise and the de facto leader. That's one reason. Another reason is everybody's heard about him helping opponents up. And everybody was like, oh, that's no big deal. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he just, he knocks people down and he helps them up. He's just a nice guy. Right. I could understand that. But the problem was he would help guys, opponents up that he didn't knock down, that other guys tackled. He would help them up and he wouldn't help his fellow players up. I challenge anybody to show me video footage of Jerry McCoy helping a Buccaneer player up off the ground. It might be out there. I don't ever recall seeing it in nine years of watching film. But I do recall seeing quite a few times where he helped the opponent up off the ground. And a lot of times it was opponents that he didn't even knock down. I've seen him step over Buccaneer players to help the opponent up. I don't know what that was all about. Didn't sit right with me. And I can understand why some fans would be upset about it. In 2012, Jerry McCoy was handed this franchise. He had been injured for 2010 and 2011. But in 2012, when Greg Schiano came in, he was gifted this franchise as the face of the franchise and the de facto leader. He was promoted. He got special treatment. He always had two lockers to himself. And he hadn't, at that point, earned it. Gerald McCoy was always in front of a camera. He spent more time promoting himself than being a leader, as was evidence in all this other stuff I just said. It was all about McCoy and not the team. That's how it came off to me. The media promoted him and liked him because he was a willing source for them. The media does not watch game film. They don't sit down and watch the coaches film the All-22 to figure out who is good and who isn't good. They depend on things such as pro football focus and coaches to tell them who is a good player. Now, they pick who is good or bad based on who they like. They like people that give them information and are nice to them. Basically, the media is what pushed McCoy on everyone. And the media is the one crying about losing him now. He's quick to jump in front of a camera or Twitter or call a reporter about an article on him that he didn't like. But he's not quick to do that when they do it about the team. Remember the whole Freeman not voted captain controversy that turned out to be a lie? I don't remember McCoy getting in front of the camera and calling it out as a lie. He was there. He saw it. He let the media say that without giving any pushback. Then there's the whole 
thing about McCoy is double and triple team. You hear that all the time. This phrase is constantly parroted by the media without any evidence whatsoever. That phrase was actually started by McCoy as a talking point, and McCoy brought it up all the time. McCoy was not double teamed any more than any other defensive tackle in the league. If he was, I want somebody to sit down and analyze it. From all the analysis I've done, he's, he's double teamed just as much as anybody else. No more, no less. Then we are told that McCoy has a lot of quarterback pressures. That's something they tout all the time. And especially it's something they get from Pro Football Focus, which if you listen to this podcast, you know I can't stand their analysis. I think it's ridiculous for any number of reasons that I'm not going to go into now. But quarterback pressures is not a thing. If it is a thing, it's not a good thing. I mean, this is not hand grenades or horseshoes. Close does not count or it shouldn't count. Almost getting to the quarterback should not be considered a win. Plus, quarterback pressures is totally subjective. There is no standard for what is a pressure and what is not a quarterback pressure. And does a quarterback pressure count if the quarterback throws a completed pass or worse, a long bomb? I mean, what good is a pressure on a quarterback if he gets the ball out? Quarterback pressures are a crap statistic and McCoy was the best at them. But my final reason why I was glad McCoy is gone is that he made more bad plays than he did good. Watching him, watching his game film, he got pushed out of the way all the time. He did not hold down the B gap, which is his responsibility. He would get thrown around, he would get in the way of the defensive ends, and he missed tackles all the time. I mean, his tackle ratio is horrible. So if any of the media personalities who want to say that they don't understand why fans don't like Gerald McCoy or were happy to see him get cut, there's your answers from a fan that was happy to see Gerald McCoy get cut. If you want to call me a troll, then fine. Explain to me why I'm wrong. Explain to me why quarterback pressures matter. Explain to me why Gerald McCoy was the leader of the worst defenses we've had in the Buccaneers in decades. Explain to me why Gerald McCoy would help opponents up, but not his own teammates. And explain to me why so many players had so many personal issues in the locker room while Gerald McCoy was the supposed leader. Now, Jenna Lane tweeted, quote, One hour after Dom Kansu revealed that he would indeed be wearing number 93, Gerald McCoy signs with the Panthers. Not a coincidence, end quote. And then Gerald McCoy tweeted in response, Really, Jenna? Really? This is how stuff gets started. Complete nonsense. Stop reaching. You know me as a man. Have some integrity. I haven't responded to any of the other nonsense you write, but this is just wrong. You're reaching for no reason. Just stop, man. That sounded like some pent-up frustration that he was taking out on her. And it was like he broke his silence for the first time in how long? Like, I don't know that he had tweeted before that. I don't know when the last time he tweeted before that. Yeah, all But off-season. that's what he said. Yeah. That's what I'm talking, that's what we talk about when we say how thin-skinned he is. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like he broke his silence to argue with Jeneline. To argue with the media, to correct to their correct, perception of him. Exactly. Not their perception, but their portrayal. Right. Because her tweet makes it sound like he's extremely petty and only did it because of the number 93 thing. And so he's got to go, oh, no, that's not what it was. You're reaching. But I'll be honest with you. I kind of laughed my butt off because Jenna Lane gets crapped on a lot by these guys. And I think rightfully so. I'm going to do some media bashing here specifically about Jenna Lane. Uh, Jenna Lane had an article, we've talked about it here on the podcast, but it was entitled, Sue, Negative Reputation Says It's Irrelevant in My Life. 
This was published May 31st, 2019. Now, I'm sorry, we haven't talked about this one, but she said in the article that since he was drafted in 2010, Sue has accrued 71 accepted penalties, more than any other player in the league. That's wrong. That's fake news. By my count, he's got 67 penalties. But does that... Maybe her number includes the playoff penalties. (laughs) (laughs) That might be true. Maybe mine don't include the playoff penalties. But even so, that's tied with another player. And you'll never guess who that other player is. Who is it? Philip Rivers. (laughs) Do you want to say Philip Rivers is a negative player, a dirty player, has a bad reputation? No. Philip Rivers is one of the only players who has played more snap counts than Sue over that time period. Sue plays a lot of snap counts. He's only missed two games in nine years. And that was not because of injury. It's because of suspensions. Now, I went through all of Sue's penalties. All penalties are not the same. If we're going to talk about dirty penalties, like unnecessary roughness, personal foul, unsportsmanlike conduct, and disqualifications, then Sue's not even in the top 10. Wow. Deshaun Goldson has 21. Is he even in the league anymore? Don't know. Vontae Perfect has 18. Jay Hughes has 15. Hall with the Redskins had 11. You know how many Sue has? Four. Gerald McCoy has three. Hell, Mike, Ava, Mike, Mike Evans has five, and Aaron Donald has five. <laughs> you remember that time, Mike Evans, where he ran and clocked that Saints player from behind? I uh, sure do. Yeah. It's one of my favorite plays. Right. How come you don't hear everybody say, ooh, Mike Evans is a dirty player? So he's got more of those penalties than Indominus Sue. Yes. And you got to remember, Sue averages about 900 snaps a season. He plays an average of 85% of the team's defenses, defensive snaps. Now, here's a breakdown of Sue's penalties. Again, we're going with 67 total. He's got 19 neutral zone infractions, 12 encroachment, 10 defensive offsides. Now, that's 41 of the 67 penalties. Wow. We'll yes. just, just jump in before Pre-snap, the ball snaps. Yes. He's got six roughing the passer penalties, four face masks, four illegal use of hands, three defensive holding, three unnecessary roughness, two horse collar, one illegal block above the waist, and one disqualification. He's also got one tripping and one low block. That's in 148 games. That's one penalty every 2.2 games. Wow. As a comparison, DeMar Dotson has had 53 penalties in 106 games, or one penalty every two games. That's snap counts not included because, again, Sue averages over 900 snaps a year, second only to Phillip Rivers at about 1,000 snaps a year. Now, in 2017 against the Ravens, Sue was penalized unnecessary roughness against our very own Ryan Jensen. Now, I looked at it. It was not much of a penalty. Jensen continued to push Sue after the whistle, and Sue ended up pushing his head down and smacked his arms away. It was a very, very slight penalty. But that's one of his... Unnecessary roughness penalties. And then Sue got another unnecessary roughness penalty in that same game, late in the game. I think it was the fourth quarter. Sue jumps off sides and hits the quarterback. It was Ryan Mallett. They were playing the Ravens. This was when he was with Miami. In the quarterback, Ryan Mallett walks over and chest bumps Sue and gets in his face. Sue pushes him away by the neck. Now, this is the infamous Sue grabbing Ryan Mallett by the throat picture that you always see. I want to get that framed. I know. It was a split second. It was just... Sue pushing him away because Mallet came over and bumped into his chest and got up in his face. So Sue pushed him away. He just happened to push him away by the neck. The Dolphins ended up losing that game 40-0. to zero. So needless to say, Sue was pretty PO'd about this point anyhow. Now, Jenna Lane referred to Sue as a dirty player and linked to an article about him being voted the dirtiest player in the NFL. Now, when you hear that Sue was voted dirtiest player in the NFL, here's what you're hearing. 
It was in 2002 when the Sporting News, which is an AOL website. I've never even heard of that site. Right. They're not a polling company. They're just an AOL website. Reporters asking questions. They asked 103 NFL players who they thought was the dirtiest player. 32 of them picked Sue. Now, there's no information on what the players were asked or what questions were asked. But here's the question they, they should have been asked. Who is the dirtiest player that you have played against in an NFL? And all the players in the NFL should have been asked. The Sporting News survey was conducted by reporters based on what reporters had reported on Sue. It is like being voted to the All-Pro team. The All-Pro team players are voted in based on reporters from the Associated Press, Pro Football Writers of America, and Sporting News. Then the reporters go on and say that that is proof that those players are good. I mean, they're reporting on their own reporting. So that's kind of circular reasoning there. Yeah. Basically. I mean, when you ask football players who have not played up against Sue, who is the dirtiest player, they're going to say, oh, it's probably Sue because the reporters say he's a dirty player. So then the reporters turn around and go, well, see, we told you the players think he's a dirty player. No, you can only say he's a dirty player if you've played against the guy. Not if you've watched media reports about the guy. That doesn't prove nothing. Jenna Lane also wrote an article in ESPN entitled, Bucks replaced Jerry McCoy with the Domicong Sue, but at what cost? And she said in that article, Don't expect him to mentor Vita Vea or stay after practice helping Noah Spence with pass rush moves or go on mountain climbing expeditions with Bo Allen. He wasn't welcome back with the Rams for a reason. End quote. And she just trashes Sue in this article like crazy. But what's funny is today, the Buccaneers Instagram posted a picture with Sue and Golston saying, Sue, teaching up Golston. Oh, that's funny. And then today in the press conference, Sue was asked about what he's going to do to help to be a veteran to the younger players. And he went on this long diatribe about all the stuff he's going to do. Teach them about how to uh, learn offensive line techniques and, and tells and all this good stuff. But he did say he's got to get acclimated to Tampa first before he can take on that type of leadership role, though. I just find it funny that the media is saying one thing and the data and the film and the Buccaneers are saying a completely different thing. So that's it for the media bashing today. That one was thorough. I'm quite impressed. Yeah. I did my book report. <laughs> it's just crazy to me how they will say, oh, he's the most fine player in the NFL and he's the voted the dirtiest player. That one just drives me crazy. Voted the dirtiest player. It's so subjective. What does that even mean, the dirtiest player? What do they what defines a dirty player? Yeah. Thirty two guys out of the whole NFL, which is close to two thousand guys. I think it's like around fifteen hundred. 32 guys said Sue is the dirtiest player. We don't know what question was asked of them. It could have been from media reports. Who do you think is the dirtiest player or whatever? But if they haven't played against him, I mean, we don't know all that goes on during piles. We don't know what goes on when the cameras aren't around. There might be some really dirty players out there that they don't get reported on because the media doesn't see it or the media likes them or whatever. But to sit around and say that Sue was voted the dirtiest player it's just fake news. It's made up by the media. Same thing with his penalties. It's made up by the media. If you're going to say Sue is a dirty player because he's got these many penalties, then you have to say Philip Rivers is also a dirty player because he's got just as many penalties, if that's the criteria. Look, I ain't got a problem with Sue being a dirty player, to be honest with you. I hope he does go out there and get a few unnecessary roughness penalties. I like unnecessary roughness penalties. Ryan Jensen had four last year. I had no problem with those. No problem whatsoever. It's football. We don't need to be helping the opponents up off the ground. We need to be knocking them on the ground. And then if you feel like it, step on them. <laughs> We're going to try to keep the uh, Gerald McCoy and the media bashing down, tamper it down a little bit now that we think that the 
the dust has settled. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to keep calling them out when I see them screw up. I just can't stand like Thomas Bassinger from the Tampa Bay Times just crapping all over fans who agreed with Daryl McCoy being cut. You know, the media has hyped them up so much. So, I mean, they're actually the media who is supposed to be objective. You know, they claim, oh, we're not fans. We just report objectively are not being objective. You know, they are constantly hyping Daryl McCoy up and trashing the Buccaneers. I ain't having it. We got a dang good football team. We got a good football coach. I think right now our biggest issue in Buccaneer world is the media. They need to straighten up. They need to go to football camp, media camp, <laughs> go out there with, with Bruce Arians. Bruce, why do I keep <laughs> saying You have the hardest time with Bruce. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Arians and have him run them through some media drills or something. They are the weakest link in the Buccaneers realm. You got anything else, Molly? I do think there are some decent ones. There's a few that I really like. I like Greg Allman. I like Greg Allman. Some of the podcasters are good. Joe Buck's fan. Mm. I like, I really like Steve Isbitt. And I, I, I like, like Steve. I think Joe Buck's fan has good insider information. And they're fans. They make no bones about it. Right. I like that. But they're negative. They're the ones already <laughs> saying they're comparing Bruce Arians to Lovey Smith and Greg Schiano. I think that's Lee. DeCamper. Yeah, Lee DeCamper is more negative, I think, towards the Buccaneers. Ira Kaufman, I, I love Ira Kaufman. He's great. Yeah. He's, he's, just, fun. he's fun to he's listen to. He's not a fan either. No, he's a Rams fan. No, Kansas yeah. City Chiefs fan. Chiefs, yeah. That's right. But there's some good ones on Twitter that aren't as official. I think that's part of the thing about the Tampa Bay Times that bothers me is they're like official. They're supposed to be professional. And, and they're not at all. And and like ESPN with Jenna Lane. And they're somewhat, in some respects, less professional than freelancers or the smaller publications. I mean, they should be held to a higher standard. Truth. All right. Well, all the negativity's out of the way. Now, we've got until the end of July before there's going to be much football news going on. We'll keep you up to date with whatever happens. We're still going to be doing our three podcasts a week. A lot of it is going to be uh, keeping up with the enemies. We're going to rehash the Know Your Enemies and keep updated with that. Find out what's going on with Carolina Kittens, the New Orleans Aints, and the Dirty Birds. Make sure we're prepared for them this season. We're also going to be doing a lot of football analysis. I'm going to be going through all the uh, new players we've gotten that have film on them. Uh, and I'm probably going to be cutting up some film to put on the YouTube channel. If you're not familiar, we got a YouTube channel going. Uh, just search for Buccaneers Observer. It'll pop up. Uh, this podcast, we're also starting to put this on the YouTube channel as well, so you can listen to it there. And if any news comes out about the Buccaneers, we'll be sure to report on it here as well and give our wonderful, wonderful opinions on it. And then, of course, if the media does step out of bounds, we're going to keep them in check. Body check. <laughs> and that's about it. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is mollybay at buccaneersobserver.com. Ralph can be reached at ralph at buccaneersobserver.com. We're on Twitter at Bucks underscore Observer. We currently have a Facebook page. We don't have a whole lot of likes on there. Please get on there. If you're on Facebook, look us up. Give us a like and a share. And we also have a website, BuccaneersObserver.com. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. Until next time. Go Bucks.